The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Discover hope and healing from the other side. Welcome to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Listen, they're all around you, close as a thought or a memory. Messages of hope. Messages of hope. Hi, everybody, and welcome back for another episode of Inspiration and Being uplifted that's always the goal and learning about the greater reality which we're all a part of i'm so excited about my guest today peter panagor i found out about him through helping parents heal and those of you who listen to the show regularly know that that's an organization that i support with my full heart and soul they're all about helping those who have a child on the other side know that nobody who has died is lost or gone but still right here and Peter spoke to that group a little while ago and one of the members Irene Vuvalides wrote to me and said you have to check this guy out and so I did and I said "Ooh, would he make a great guest for the show so he's standing by but let me just tell you about Peter real quick he has a master's of divinity he's the best-selling author of the book heaven is beautiful How Dying Taught Me That Death Is Just the Beginning. I love that title. He just completed 15 years as the writer and host of a daily two-minute devotional TV spot. We're going to talk about those two-minute devotionals later in the show. That broadcasts across Maine and New Hampshire from two NBC stations. And he reached a sustained peak of 30 million views a year. Oh, boy. For those of us who know that it's all about getting the messages out to people that that love is all that matters, that this life is eternal. He got to reach that many people. That's awesome. Uh, He had an NDE, a near-death experience while ice climbing in Banff National Park. Been there twice. I love it there. He's going to tell you about that first NDE, but guess what? He went to the other side not just once, but twice. And he's dedicated his life to the pursuit of historical mystical knowledge while at Yale 
end as a lifelong yogi, meditator, and person of prayer. Before TV, he served as a preacher, a teacher, a counselor, a leader, and a community ombudsman for the community of people with all the goodness and all the badness of life along the beautiful coast of Maine. Peter, welcome to the show. Oh, well. <laughs> I'm all choked up. I'm all choked up. Um, hello, Suzanne. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me. I appreciate being here. Well, Peter, I, with all due respect, having traveled through Maine, if you live there, that makes you a maniac, right? Well, no. No, apparently you had to have your grandfather buried in the cemetery to make that count. So, so I'm not. I'm, I'm not even really. I'm not even really from Earth like everybody else. <laughs> it's passing through. Oh, excellent! And we're going to really dive into what that means and why you say that in just a minute. But you sent me a biography of yourself and you say Peter lives on Ocean Point where he nature bathes daily. Tell us about nature bathing. Uh, I learned the term from the Japanese. It's getting pretty popular and I highly recommend it. But I I started with it because after I came back from uh, my ND, my first NDE, being in nature was like being in the middle of a prayer. So it would pray for me and through Mm. me because there's this place, especially when you get close to the wild, but even a houseplant will do, where uh, the presence of God leaks through nature directly. That's and or most directly, not completely directly, but most directly as I can find and consistently. So I go out every day, and I um, I live next to a preserve. I live on the ocean, um, and take a bath and the presence of God that leaks through nature. Oh, I love Same that. I'm sitting here with my husband, Ty, and I meditate every morning, but he says that, that nature is his meditation. And in fact, we started off this morning with a nature bath. Then if that's the definition, we went for mm-hmm. a hike in the, in the Rocky Mountains. But let's talk about your NDE that happened in the, Mount, in the, Rocky, the Canadian Rockies, right? Yes, the Canadian Rockies. And Banff, we have a lot Banff. to cover. If you, why don't we? Um, can we just jump ahead to what led to the near-death experience and what you experienced? Yes. So I was 21 years old, and it, I went ice climbing. There was a larger backcountry ski trip around that event on a world-famous wall uh, called Weeping Wall, and I'd never been an ice climber before. I'd been a, a a winter backpacker and cross-country skier and national ski patrol. I had a lot of background in outdoorness, plus ropes and carabiners and climbing on stone, but never ice. And so I didn't want to go home for vacation. And I found a way to stay out west, found a partner who had complementary skills in the backcountry mm-hmm. and was a lead ice climber. And so we spent time snow caving and we culminated our trip with an ice climb. And I made a miscalculation and my bravado, a youthful bravado and my equipment, I used a, one ax and a hammer, which was not a, the smartest thing I've ever done. Um, and that slowed our climb down significantly. And, and you say in your book, Heaven we, is Beautiful, you should have had two axes for people who are wondering I what you mean by the, two axes. that. Thank yeah, you. two axes. Yes. I, I did a two axes because the hammer is much shorter. And you, you can, you can, when you plant an axe, you can plant it, the, the, 
the the beak, the tip of the beak of the axe and the ice, and then tilt it in, and it creates a, a right angle with a hypotenuse on it when it's a, in a vertical. And you can then release your hand from the from the handle and dangle on the strap that's attached. And you can't do that with a hammer. And so you have to hang on to the hammer the whole time. And so I expended all this extra energy, uh, slowed us down significantly, um, and we got to the top of the climb by dark and sunset, and the temperature dropped, and we were started hypothermia almost immediately. Uh, we had troubles along the way, but we decided we were going to go along the way because we knew we were going to die if we stayed where we were because it was really yeah. cold and we were soaked to the skin and we were high up and we had no shelter and it was a dangerous situation. And so we decided if we were going to, we were going to strive to live in the face of death. And so we did and we encountered problems and uh, hypothermia continued to advance and advance to the place where some hours before dawn, we were on our last rappel and I had frostbite. I still have all my digits for all of your listeners out there, uh, but I still have, I can't feel my big toe and my right foot, <laughs> and, uh, which is minor compared to lots of other ice climbers. But I've got it on my fingertips and I hypothermia advanced to the stage of, through the stage of, you lose your reasoning capacity. Um, and I lost my reasoning capacity and I unzipped my coat because I got hot, which is what happens. And I, but I also knew that I was stuck and not getting down because the rope was, uh, caught in a crag around the corner in the dark. And Tim and I were clipped into the mountain side by side and I had control of the rope and he couldn't help. And we were both in terrible condition and a peacefulness came over me when I got hot and I unzipped my coat and I, realized that I was going to die there because I, I, I'd been yanking on the rope, which was stuck for hours, and I pretty much accepted it. And I then began to fall asleep, and I would wake up when I hit the rock and climb back up again because we are off the ice. And then at one point, I climbed back up, and my vision began to like come in like the like the an old silent film at the end where it goes where it fades to black and they close the shutters in this roundness of darkness and it and it began all around my peripheral vision up and down and left and right and across the ways and and it began to shrink rapidly and I watched it come in and I wondered what was that thing and I looked around and it followed my vision so I knew that it was in my head and and then it blacked out and I as it blacked out I felt myself fall but I didn't feel myself hit the mountain and I thought, I didn't hit the mountain and I'm still awake. Why am I awake? And my interior vision became vast instantaneously. And from a very long, far away place, uh, uh, I, I, everything I say is metaphorical. Uh, and there's no language to contain it. So uh, the angel of death. But the angel of death was an immense being of intellect and force that moved faster than light and came rushing at me and communicated to me telepathically, I'm taking you. I thought, no, you're not. <laughs> and I took my willpower that I'd been pushing out of myself all night to survive. I dug this huge hole inside myself of um, 
well, resilience, I guess, out of necessity. And mm-hmm. I put all of that up against this, only it wasn't anywhere near strong enough. <laughs> it broke right through and took me um, as if my, all of my force of will and strength was nothing. And I found myself instantaneously in a new being. I was in an eternal, illuminated darkness. And it was all of these contradictions existing simultaneously in harmony of vastness. And I could see in every single direction like I was one eye. And I was not afraid. I was bewildered, but I was content. And and I, I tell this tale in a sequence as a sequence of events, but this was a place of non being. I my my I had no corporeal form. I had no color. I had no brain, no skin, no bones, no shape that that I could speak of. I, I call myself an orb, but I don't really know here what I was. Yeah. Yeah, was, did you still feel like Peter? I did feel like Peter, but then my, but then there, there, there was, I did feel like Peter, but not like I was before, um, <laughs> because I was, I was, I was without skin and bone or brain in the way of my thinking. I could think mm-hmm. more rapidly in more directions uh, all at once and process my own thoughts without language because I had no brain to hold the language. Uh, than I'd ever been able to think before. And so I was like this super brain um, with nothing in the way, no biology in the way of my capacity to process data from inside myself. But I still carried that data with me. And so then there appeared this gigantic door or portal or gateway or, and it, and it, and I could, it was translucent and transparent and it was in front of my singular eye. And I could see this long arcing tunnel um, and the surface of this gigantic portal was translucent and transparent and in motion and fluid. And I touched it with my being. I moved my consciousness to touch it and it was alive. It was life force energy. It was like the living water itself. And I heard from deep inside me, my name called, but it wasn't Peter. It was my unpronounceable soul name that brought me into original being at the, at the voice of the divine, the voice that I could hear inside my head who called my name, but I couldn't see and knew instantly that I was in the presence of this voice with a capital V. And I also knew that I was beloved and created, and the voice was creator, and I then went through what Catherine, Catherine of Genoa calls the divine purgation, the divine fire purgation. And so I went through this like purgative place where I, where I knew that I was fully known and there was nothing about me that was unknown. There were no hidden corners of my life. Uh, And the voice was saying to me, I know you. I know every part of you. I've always known you. I made you. And then I went through all of the suffering that I'd given away in my entire life to every single person from from their point of view. And it was the the pain that I intended to give. And um, my sisters and my brother and my mom and my dad, they featured prominently. 
but it was also all the pain that I didn't intend to give anyone. And there was a lot of the unintended pain. And I suffered all of that pain times 10,000 or a million, or I don't even know, but, but it was intensive in sequence um, and magnified. And I was in their experience. Each person, I felt what they felt magnified. Simultaneously, I felt um, shame. I felt shame um, and sorrow um, for having unknowingly caused and knowingly caused this pain, but not knowing that it was so immense. And I, I saw myself in comparison to ultimate, infinite, divine love and beauty. And it wasn't so much that I was the only one who causes pain so much as I understood that we all cause each other pain. It's built into the system and that divine love is completely and utterly forgiving. And the voice kept saying to me, I love you, I made you, I forgive you. And it was over and I was left carrying uh, all the love and I was, I was infilled, okay? This kind of happened at the same time. I was left carrying the treasure of love that I brought with me and I was infilled with all these things at once that we divide here but are, are in a oneness, a beauty, which beauty, love, joy, peace, bliss, knowledge, uh, information, analysis, com uh, comprehension, uh, truth, wisdom. And, and I was infilled like a, like a glowing, expanding container that was so full that I was overflowing and I actually was afraid that I would overfill. Because because the source of the love was so immense, so incomprehensible to me, and I felt like I was shifted into a place of of adoration, of just uh, awe and adoration, and and I said to the divine voice, "Am I dead?" Without words in my head, mm -hmm. or rather mm -hmm. in my consciousness. And the voice said, yes, you're dead. And I said, well, I can't die now. And the voice said, why not? I want you to stay. Um, and I said, well, my mom and my dad, my mom is, uh, had a, a breakdown. My sister had vanished when I was 14. We didn't know if she was alive or dead. And it turned out that she ran away and was gone forever. And my mom blamed herself. And it created this psychological dynamic, emotional and psychological dynamic in our house of secrecy. And, um, but I knew that if they lost another child, it would break my mom. And mm -hmm. so I said, you know, I got my parents. And in a thought, in the instant of a thought, I was swept and I saw all of earth all at once. Every single human being on the planet and everywhere. And everyone was beloved. Every single person was beloved and every single person wore a veil. Like the whole earth was covered in this shroud uh, and, and nobody could see what I could see. And the voice said, in the way that you now know that I love you, which was a septillion times, a septillion times greater than anything I've ever felt here. And in the way that I, you know now that I love you, I've always loved you. 
I will always love you, and I love you now. And in that way, I love every human being. And now you know that because of my eternal love, all will be well, all has been well, and all will be well for everyone. And your parents will have healing when they die, and they'll be just as whole as you are here, so you don't have to go back. You can stay. And I said, oh, I, I, can't, I can't do that. Mm. And... um. I said, can I, if I go back, can I come back to this heaven, this, this inner filled place of, of, of non-being and bliss, light beyond compare? And God said, yes, you can come back here. And I said, well, then I choose to live my life. And God said, you won't live your life. And the next thing I knew, I was being compressed and crushed and shrunk and stuffed inside <laughs> my thing that I didn't even know what it was anymore. And I just felt this pain of, of being stuffed inside something. And, and then it take, took time for me to feel, feel myself inside this thing. And my eyes opened and I swam the consciousness and just disoriented to to not just where I was and what I was doing, but to my very sense of self. And after some time, I don't know how long, I realized that my partner, who I didn't recognize, something was bashing me. And I swam further up in consciousness, and he had me by the shoulder and was screaming at me, you were dead. You were dead. If you died, I was going to die. And... And eventually he helped me up and I kind of, I don't know how long I stood there trying to figure out who he was and where I was and what I was and what this thing was that hurt. And I had to move and, and think so slowly. And, and, and eventually he got me to understand where we were and he helped me understand that I had to pull the rope, which is one end was tied to my harness and the other was up around the corner in the dark. And I pulled the rope and then, like a miracle, the rope came free on, free on the first pull. And we descended the rest of the way. And because this is on the, uh, the, uh, the Ice Fields Parkway, it's right on the parkway, oh, yeah. crossing the Saskatchewan River, um, you passed it if you took that road. Oh, yeah, um, I know the Ice Field Parkway. Wow. Well, listen, I can't believe a... this show is going way too fast. We're going to have to get you back oh, for I'm another sorry. talk to get get into the deep stuff but i don't know about everybody else but i'm sitting here i read your book but hearing you describe it i'm just saying wow and and peter have not at that moment but let's encapsulate your whole life since that time have you regretted coming back knowing what you know yes yes i have i prayed for my death every day isn't that interesting? In that place of longing and um, of longing for home, I finally chose out of desperation to dive in at first. I couldn't, I had to swim with the river. I couldn't swim against it. And so you, I changed my You mean life dive into life here since you did make that decision? <sighs> dive in, no, dive into God. Okay. To make life here tolerable. Wow. That might have been my whole life's pursuit. It has been your life's pursuit. You could have gone on to be an architect like your father, right? 
And my sister. Oh, wow. And instead became a minister. I did. I became, I got our, I got, I went to the divinity school afterwards in order to uh, construct a language in which to think about what had happened to me. I'd been exposed to meditation when I was younger in high school. I went to a Catholic school and Suzuki, Suzuki Roshi had been teaching Trappist monks. Thomas Keating, maybe you know that name? Sure, um, yeah. Um, anyway, I ended up uh, being an early student there in the late 70s um, through a teacher who came out of there. And so I knew something about meditation and the power of driving oneself in. And I decided that if I was going to figure out what had happened to me, I needed to find a a place where I could learn that there were others like me and learn how they experienced it and how they thought about it. And I found that in the long-tailed history of Western mysticism. It's in the East. It's in most religions. But I had what wisdom was given to me uh, by a church deacon who said, if it's, if it's God that you seek, stay within your tradition because then you're not going to have to learn Japanese or Sanskrit <laughs> or what other, other language. You can go right to... Um, you can go right to the secondary sources because I can't read Latin either, but I have a cultural concept, you know? And well, so I let, chose... let me, if I could ask you with just two minutes before mm. the break, believe it or not, if mm. it's God that all of us seek and you actually met that source, that power, how, how do you define God? What is God? Who is God? Is it a who at all? What is God to you now that you've been and there? God is, God is, God is, is love joy, beauty, hope, mercy, uh, and eternity, creator, but mostly God is love, uh, love divine, not male, not female, not no gender, beyond religion and language and culture and concept. And yet so many of us anthropomorphize God and see God as a being, uh, as, as a well, person. Well, you have to. Yeah, but you have to anthropomorphize it because because otherwise you're left with no language to speak about it. And okay. so we, so all like all biblical language is metaphorical. Um, God the Father, it's a metaphor. God uh, the Mother Hen, that's a metaphor. And because you can never talk directly about that which has no words, you know the 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 Hebrew Scriptures has it right. The word that's translated Jehovah and Yahweh and and uh, they call it the Javier Vavier, and they leave out the vowels because it's the YHWH in transliteration, um, which is unpronounceable. You cannot say it. Like, I can't say my name the, the, because it's so concrete and rock here, so physical that the non-physical has a hard time fitting in. Yeah. Okay, so it's all right just to anthropomorphize God, to see God as a being, but, but it's much bigger than that, and God is love is also absolutely correct. Well, the reason why it's okay to do that is because it's very difficult to be in the place of non-being. And so for me personally, uh, I, God is uh, uh, imminent and transcendent and beyond and has no definable characteristics. There's this, do I have enough time? Can I keep talking? No, we can't. Um, this is Peter Panagore. We're going to go to a break yeah. right now, but please come back and join us because we have so much more to discuss. Thank you, Peter. 
You're welcome. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. This programming is made possible through the generous donations of listeners like you. If you feel inspired by this programming, we invite you to contribute. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate to make your offering today. Thank you for your support. Here's Eric Butterworth with a Unity Mindful Moment. Unfortunately, religions have tended to present themselves as institutions instead of perceptions, something you join, instead of a transcendence that you experience. We've tended to believe that God works exclusively through the machinery of an institution. So it is self-evident that most persons believe that you go to church to get close to God. The fact is, if God is present in the church, God is also present in the theater. God is present, period, because God is an omnipresence, everywhere present. So you don't go to church to get close to God. But you go to church, perhaps, hopefully, to be challenged to dig within yourself and to find that consciousness of the presence that is with you wherever you go. So that wherever you go, wherever you are, God is. To pick up the Eric Butterworth book, Practical Metaphysics, go to unity.org and click on Shop. Did you know Unity has published a new book by Eric Butterworth? This wonderful writer and teacher, who is loved by so many people, left a recorded class called Practical Metaphysics that has now been turned into a book. It's Vintage Butterworth. He explains how to live from a deeper state of consciousness and awaken to health, love, prosperity, and peace of mind. Practical Metaphysics. Find it online by going to unity.org and click Shop. Would you like to show your support for Unity Online Radio? You can donate easily on your phone by texting the word VOICE to 50555 and donate $10 to support Unity Online Radio. It's easy to do, and your offering will help us keep inspirational and positive programming on the air. Remember, just text the word VOICE to 50555 and support your favorite shows on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Take some time to relax and tune into spirit with Reverend Paulette Pipe and Touching the Stillness. Every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Central, join Paulette for a soul-stirring meditation that will leave you energized and inspired. Tune in and connect with listeners around the world in affirmative prayer. Not your everyday radio show. Touching the Stillness will help you bring new meaning and clarity to your life. Find Paulette on Facebook and listen each week right here at Unity Online Radio. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back. You're listening to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. 
Boy, I'll tell you, time seems to stop when I do this show. I look up and half an hour is gone already. We are talking today with Reverend Peter Panagor, and his website is his name, P-E-T-E-R-P-A-N-A-G-O-R-E.com. He has two books. We talked about the first one, Heaven is Beautiful, in the first half hour. I want to start this one by mentioning his other book, Two Minutes for God, Quick Fixes for the Spirit. I got this book, and... I just want to dive in and read every one of these two-minute lessons at once. But if those of you who know me, I tell you, turn off the news when you go to bed and read something uplifting or start your day with something uplifting. You want to read something uplifting, read Peter's book, Two Minutes for God. These are fun, funny, thought-provoking stories that will just lift your spirit and keep you on the spiritual path. I can't recommend this enough. And each little two-minute story, perfect amount of time just to get your attention, ends with a little prayer and a thought for the day. Peter, I want to talk to you about prayer because there's a big difference in prayer. There's supplicatory where you're asking for favors from God. And then there's affirmative prayer, which I know this is Unity Online Radio. Unity is very much into affirmative prayer, affirming what we know to be true. What is your view? Is there a better way to pray than another, or what? Well, in all of those devotions, uh, as I mentioned off-air, those are pastoral devotionals uh, that were to uplift the spirit, as you say, and to try to be a cultural influencer using television. But in my personal prayer life, I never asked for things. I haven't asked for things since I came back. All I, all I want is the oneness. All, all I want is the oneness. Jesus said, seek heaven first and all things will be added to you. Jesus doesn't say get the gift of uh, you know, prophecy or whatever the other gifts are. Um, he says, seek heaven first. And the oneness is all there is. This place that we live in is the transitory place where we can collect all sorts of things you can't bring with you. And the, the only thing we get to bring with us and keep is love. And that's love you gave away and love you get. You get to keep both of those bits of treasure from every single person. And so in my prayer life, I'm always practicing turning my inner eye back to uh, the oneness. That's how I pray. And I can tell you how I do that a bunch of different ways. But you can do that in any form of prayer that you have if you turn your heart to God. Asking for things, you might get them, but then you're going to leave them when you leave here. Right. Why not ask for the things you get to keep eternally? I'm looking right now at your... just the second story in two minutes for God, and today's thought is, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. So aim at heaven, (laughs) which is by focusing on love. You want to just give me an example, a quick example of of a daily prayer? Um, Are you? Sure. Well, I'm praying at this stage of my practice. I'm praying without words, Um, Mm. and so I've I've, I practice. If people want to learn to pray without words, you have to begin with praying with words, and then through uh, repetitive practice um, and breathing uh, and focus the words begin to drop away and uh, a variety of things can happen. You can drop into a place of peace 
or you can begin to use um, your breath inside your body to make wider channels for the divine to flow through. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. I, my, my prayer life uh, has developed with a combination of Kriya. I read about an autobiography of a yogi. I figured yeah. if, he, if, if this is true and I understand the beginning steps, and I did, then I should be able to find all these things in my own practice. And that's what I've been practicing for almost 40 years with, with a mashup of a Yangar and Ashtanga and, and sitting style uh, Zen uh, prayer with a, a Greek Orthodox prayer where I repeat oh, yeah. it over and over and over and over again. It must be amazing to go to your services. You know, you just, you're bringing in such a wealth of different philosophies and, and spiritual approaches, which is, which I love. And I, it's my belief that each one of us should always be open and changing and trying what speaks to our heart. Let, let me move on a second here. I know of at least one listener right now who is going through a very difficult struggle, what he calls the dark night of the soul. And he mm. truly wants to stay here and on the earth plane. And yet he's struggling because it's so hard. I know that you throughout your career have dealt with death and dying and you've had cases of parishioners and friends who have um, completed suicide. What advice beyond the normal from your perspective can you give to people in that situation? Well, it's advice that I'm sure that they hear from others to begin, which is all the despair that you feel inside when you take your own life, you share with those you leave behind who love you. And that, that's, that's the most difficult part of all of it, um, because the, the, the grief, the ongoing grief for the most beloved left behind, but the the circles that expand out in our social life is lasting. And so it's a terrible position to be in when the darkness inside you is the thing you want to escape and you know that there's only one way out. And you know that if you take that way out, that you leave this behind. And so it's a, first I want to say it's a terrible place to be in. And it's, I look at despair like a disease. I don't look at it as a character flaw or a, um, yeah, just a character flaw. It's, it's a disease uh, that takes human beings. But is and, there a way to get more of God's love to flow through us, to get us through those yeah, times? there's always a way. Yes, you can find... If you practice opening your inner door, we were talking about prayer a minute ago. Mm -hmm. And if you practice opening your inner door over and over and over and over 10,000 times, your door, every single moment that your inner door opens, light enters. And that light doesn't dissipate. It doesn't go away. Every moment you spend with God in prayer is a moment added to your treasure. And if you practice opening that door over and over and over and over again, it gives strength. And I, you know, when I said I prayed for, when I prayed for my death every day, it's because I was suicidal mm. pretty much my whole life since I came back. But mm. I, I knew that I, I, I knew that my soul wasn't created by me. And I knew my 
more, even, I knew that my body wasn't created by me and even more so my soul not created by me. I know that I am creature wholly made and I don't belong to me. I, I belong to God. And so and, I had an opportunity to die recently and I stayed. And what I'm yeah, let's is, let's talk about that because here, for those of you listening, Peter Panagor had an NDE and wrote a best-selling book about that first one, Heaven is Beautiful. And here he says he, he was suicidal because he saw how beautiful it was and wanted to go back. And he prays his whole life to die. And in 2015, you did again. I, I did. And, I, had a, I had a widow-maker heart attack. It's a genetic thing in my family in the certain age bracket. And um, I had run, I, I like to say I had run the day before. I'm, uh, I eat well when I was at yoga. I'm, and, and, and this thing gave me 100% blockage. And long story short, on the, on the way out the door of the hospital where they gave me a trickle through 3% to let me get an hour and a half to the uh, cath- catheterization lab uh, in summer traffic in Maine, um, my son squeezed my hand, looked me in the eyes and said, I love you, dad. And, and on the way down to Portland, um, I, without morphine in my system, because I can't take opiates. So I was meditating to use, to control my pain, which I describe as Ganesh standing in tree pose on my heart, somewhat in, Mm. in jest, but actually in truth. And I left. I, I was, I, left my my the angel of death came and invited me back and this gentle beautiful sweet cajoling way and i started to go and i went and then i thought what about my son and i turned my i thought this is taking a long time i'm you know it's not like instantaneous like last time so i thought i'd think about it and so i turned my inner eye back and i thought about my son saying that to me and I saw the love in his eyes and I thought about my daughter who has who was was divorcing her uh, Afghan war camp leatherneck terrible post-traumatic stress disorder moral injury poor soul husband with a baby and was going to be homeless and I thought man I can't I can't freaking leave now <laughs> so I turned my eye back up it's like and death had receded and came rushing back to me, and I just turned away and chose to stay because because I know that the length of my life is a wink of an eye, and no matter how much I want to go back, I know that my life will end. There'll come a time when I get to leave and not come back, and so that's this, what this gives speaks me directly to this speaks directly to what we were talking about a minute ago to the the listener who is going through the dark night of the soul. It's you. Even though you had that chance and you were there again, feeling that peace and that bliss, you still were aware that there, you have a responsibility to people here. There's a reason you're still here. Yes. I figure yeah. that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a risk taker. And so it's possible that I'm going to set myself up into a position where I'm eventually going to, you know, take one risk too many. Calculated risks, careful risks, research risks, but still. And, um, but, that's the way I play with death. Okay. I pee fast in the trees. I keep my skills up so that I can brush by it and not get caught in it because I know mm-hmm. I'm going to leave. And your, your listener who's listening, it's really difficult to understand that you are your eternal soul. 
you believe that and you have faith that that's true. And maybe you've had some sort of conversion experience where God reached out like a fiery finger of grace and touched you. And suddenly you have this conversion thing where you know that God is real. You believe God is real. You can't identify it or express it. And, and it was just a moment and yet your life has changed. It's 10 bazillion times greater than that. Hmm. And so if you can endure here, and bring as much love as you can to those around you. And, yeah. and as Buddha, Buddha said, you know, Buddha is all about suffering. You know, Try to lessen the suffering of those around you. You gain treasure and you get to go home anyway. You speak of beaming out the light. Can you yeah. address that? Yeah, so when I came back, I was given message to proclaim and no words to say it, not even comprehension of what the heck it was, just this inner roaring radiance of fire that demanded release. And so I decided that I could find a way to empty myself enough and force open channels to let the light flow through. And that's why I practiced the prayer form that I practice. But I used words in the meantime in order to communicate as much light as I could get out to people. So you can beam light through music. If you're, if when you're composing music, you put yourself into a, a place of prayerfulness, you can capture that prayerfulness inside the music. And so whenever I was in front of the camera on TV, anytime I was writing these devotions, I was always trying to be in the presence of the divine. And then whenever I was on camera reading off the teleprompter, my crew there, I was doing the same thing. I'm trying to empty myself so that the light goes through. It's not my words. It's not me. It's the light itself. And it's in every single human being. And the light yes. knows itself. And you can, yeah. you can, through prayer, open yourself to become a lens, a channel, a flow, um, so many metaphors. Oh, it's beautiful. Everybody, you're listening to Peter Panagor. So inspiring. You've touched that light. You've seen it. You know it's real. For many people, it's theoretical. But when you, mm. you don't have to die to touch that, just meditative mm -hmm. practices, nature bathing, as we talked about at the beginning, can bring that on. You know, we talked uh, that the show we were going to touch on the topic we haven't yet gotten to and that is this world is so filled with people who don't know they are the light and so we read about it you know, mm -hmm. so much pain and and violence mm -hmm. yet you have a thing that you call courageous love in action how does that help us in a world that's filled with suffering well always choose love and that's that's easier said than done it, we're yeah, not it sounds Pollyanna. I say it all the time, too, I, and people say, well, that's not going to stop the killing. It's not going to stop the killing. I, you know, I've spent, I spent my career, other than when I was in TV, uh, 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 dealing with murder and uh, abortions and, and suicides and homicides and, and all the crazy stuff that happens in the real world, and I couldn't stop a single bit of it. I sit on the domestic violence homicide review panel with our state's attorney general and the commissioner and a bunch of police officers and women. And we read uh, a woman from the domestic violence uh, groups around the state and we read homicide and, and we try to stop these things and to figure out systematic ways to um, maybe save one life. 
but no lives are going to be saved. There is not a single life on earth that's going to be saved. Everybody's going to die. And so how, how, what we do to each other in the meantime, um, well, that's up to us. And when I say, when I talk about courageous love, what I, what I mean is self-sacrificial love. Every, that every single parent knows. Every single parent knows what self-sacrificial love is because they do it every day. Um, and every, every parent uh, or every child of a, of a parent that they're caring for is doing self-sacrificial love every day. That's, that's courageous love. Courageous love isn't some high ideal of, you know, climbing the face of a building in Paris, which was excellent. Like that guy had courageous love that immigrant who saved that child three floors up and climbed down. I mean, so incredibly cool, but that is extraordinary. There's courageous love everywhere all the time around us. And really you don't even need prayer to find God. All you need to do is love people. It's built mm-hmm. into us. You, you, even the people who are killing other people love people and that love that they gave and that, and that they got, that's their treasure too. And uh, it, it's, 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 I'm not any, I'm not any better than any murderer. I'm, I'm exactly the same as them in comparison to the ultimate divine, which is created, broken, and beloved. And so, I'm, so I'm a I, universal salvation. Hmm? I'm sorry, but I hear from people that email me almost daily. They're, they're so discouraged, and they say, but what do you mean I'm not going to make a difference? And the, the thing is, so we may not be able to change the world, but you've seen what happens when we just beam out that love personally. This is this is the world that we we're in, but when yes. we can change our own personal circumstances, you've shown yourself that that makes such a difference when we ultimately get to the other side. It it does, and that's where reality is. And in the meantime, um, part of the problem with fighting so hard against uh, you know raising the fist against the powers that be is that it, it's it's not that it's wrong to do that because that needs to happen. I mean. But but it's the anger and the recrimination and the the violence and the hatred and the depersonalization and the objectifying that uh, creates the capacity inside the human for killing and conflict. And when we see each other as human beings, it's easier to um, be forgiving of their brokenness. I, I, and I'm not a Pollyanna. I, I've, I've lived under threat. I had a guy try to kill me once, smash, mm. try to smash my head in with a sign. And then his dad, um, I've had real enemies. His dad, ex-con, 18 years in prison, smuggler, kidnapping, grand theft, and arson all in one night, 18 years. He threatened my life. So this isn't, I'm not, I'm not some sheltered person. I live in the real world where love is hard. Um, and, and sometimes it comes with pain. Choosing love every time isn't going to change everyone around you. It might change one around you and mm-hmm. open your door. I'm always trying to open my door. I'm still trying to open my door. That's, <laughs> that, I'm going to be doing that to the day I die. But that's pretty much why we're here, isn't it? Yes, it is. To love each other and bring love in. I'm not. I'm not a utopian. I don't want to. You know, I'm not a utopian. I don't think that humanity is 
changed a whole heck of a lot in you know one point three million years or however old we are um as a species uh, i i I think we're pretty much the same biology with some well, advances but, but if I could add a little humor, my guide Sanaya told me that we have made progress. We've moved from the dark ages to what they now call the dim ages <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll go with that. I'll go with that. Um, but, you know, we're still warlike and we're still we still have greed and power issues and ego and that all part of us hasn't changed a whole lot yet. So what's my task in this world? It's to bring as much message of light and love as I possibly can. And then I get to leave. I get to go home and and I pray to God I don't come back. <laughs> I think I'm back enough. <laughs> I love that that you were you know a minister. Are you still? Uh, do you still have a church? No, I don't have a church right now. I for 15 years I was on this TV show that broadcast all over Maine. I had I had I had churches. Um, my last church was in Booth Bay Harbor, Maine, at the United Church of Christ, and then I went to television for 15 years and became the the pastor of the state of Maine. And after cool. 91 years <laughs> in existence, uh, thanks. After 91 years in existence, the the broadcasting ministry that I was heading folded. Um, and so as of March, I am uh, creating a new show. Well, actually, I've been creating it for five years, and we're, we're closing in on um, our second round funding for a children's television show that um, I get to. I'm working with a Hollywood producer, 500 sitcoms, and a Sesame Workshop Muppet Builder, and we've got a the sweetest uh, cute wonderful um, that's pardon me yeah so start them young no, but the church. point i wanted to make about you being a mis- yeah. minister i heard you say you your your philosophy is i work for god that's my boss but the churches thought you oh, worked yeah. for them <laughs> yeah that's right yeah i totally never worked for them they paid my bills but uh no i totally i totally worked for god which freed me to actually do my job um uh, in the last church i served there was this huge embezzlement and, um, and then there was intimidation and threats against me as we, as we dug deeper. And, um, but I figured, eh, you know, I'm not from here. <laughs> I get to go home. You can do well, we, whatever you want we, to me. We all do. And, and you don't have to die to, to taste that world because I have tasted it and it is it, transformational. And mm-hmm. so for those that are listening, is it possible to live in two worlds at once now? I do. Yeah. How do you I, do that? I, I never fully. I I don't do it. It's done to me. I, I've not. I've not fully come back. I've never. I've never fully come back since I left. I I'm always in these two spaces. I'm in this world, but I am not of this world. I'm. I my loyalty is not to hear. Um, my duty is to hear. But my loyalty is to the other side, and it's not something that I constructed inside my head. It's it's this necessary result of my coming back, and so I'm not I'm not really fully here. I it's not so much that I, that I I keep my eye my door open from this side, but when my door mm-hmm. opens from this side, um, the divine light and the rest of me becomes more visible to me. Um, I don't, that doesn't probably make much sense to people, but I'm 
the best. No, I, can I think do. It, it'll the people listening to this show. It'll make a lot of sense. I know that all of you listening are are saying wow, and and I'm hearing this and think I'm excited because this is just great advice, Peter. Wonderful insights, and and it's the way we can all live now. So we've been talking to Peter Panagor. I hope you all will run out and get his books, Heaven is Beautiful and Two Minutes for God. Yep, Two Minutes for God, peterpanagor.com. With just one minute to go, Peter, what's the message you want to leave everybody with? It's Jesus' message. It's love thy neighbor as thyself and love God above all things and seek heaven first. God is love. Yeah, that, that seems so hard when we think we're only human. All you have to do is love the people you love and love them the best you can. It's not heroics. It's just doing the best you can. Uh, yes. And that treasure, you whatever you give, whatever you gather, it's yours to keep because it's not ours. Love is from this huge reservoir, this infinite reservoir that that we are vessels open to. It's, we don't own love. It is a flow through us. And it's abundant and available and endless. Yeah. You, you, you advise people to go for the one thing, not the parts. What go is that one, one thing? thing? Go for the one thing. And so when I go to yoga class, there's always, what's your intention for the day? My intention for the day never changes because my intention for my life never changes. My intention is pursuit of the one. And the one pursues me as I pursue it. Beautiful. Thank you, Peter, so much. Thank you to all of you for listening. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Victoria Moran. Since we launched the Main Street Vegan podcast back in 2012, lots more people have discovered the way that moving in a vegan direction can infuse our lives with vitality, spirituality, and compassion. My guests are experts on every aspect of making this work in your real life and our real world. Join us for Main Street Vegan here on mindbodyspirit.fm.